competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Hey everybody, welcome to the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul Murphy, your host. I'm joined by Nick Nanavati. Hey Paul, how you doing? And Zach Kersetter, Blood Angel player, winner of the U.S. Open Kansas City. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. Uh, it's a pleasure to get to speak with you. You know, Not only you're giving shining hope for space marine players out there, but also a chapter that is just near and dear to my heart, the Blood Angels. Paul. How do you feel right now? This is this is your moment, your army that we make fun of endlessly. You're, you're finally here on top of the castle. It's taken us a few months to build up to this point, but here we are. You know, talking to a, a basically champion Blood Angel player. Saw you play. We actually, you, you people can go and check out some of your games on the Warhammer uh, Twitch stream, twitch.tv forward slash Warhammer, where you can see some incredibly high level play uh, against other great opponents. So this was not an easy road to go. 8-0 over the course of that weekend. No, the, one of my favorite things about uh, you know going in at this tournament was all the people online who just said I got easy matchups the entire way, which has really made <laughs> me feel really accomplished that you know people understand that in order to win at 40k, you just get easy matchups. Yeah, <laughs> just roll sixes, get yeah. easy matchups. It's easy. You know. Roll twos, charge people, blood angels, easy peasy. Yeah, play 45 flamers in three games, easy. No, it's <laughs> Some of your list tech, I think, actually kind of helped you in this weekend. And so let's run down your list, if you don't mind. Let us know what's in it. Then we'll talk about some of the choices. Uh, Sure. So I got a patrol and a vanguard, just because elite choices are the best choices for Blood Angels. Um, I got Dante, who's the warlord. Uh, No warlord trait, but it just gives me a CP. Um, And then I have Lamartis, who's, not to get too deep into it, but he's basically just there so I can get death company secondaries. Um, And a cursor squad, and then two death company with thunderhammers. Love them. Fantastic unit. Uh, and then my other detachment was a Sanguinary Priest with Rites of War. Uh, another just fantastic all-around, just buffing, amazing character to have around. A third unit of Death Company uh, with just Chainswords, which are the mostly to clear screens and things like that. Uh, Sanguinary Ancient with the Sword and Warlord trait for the Feel No Pain 5-up. Uh, as well as Wrath right, uh, of Ball, which is the best relic in the book by far, uh, for an extra 2-inch move on all my jump back units. Uh, three units of seven Sanguinary Guard, um, a unit of Assault Marines, a unit of Eliminators, and a Whirlwind. And that's kind of everything. Well, I, I was so excited to jump right into it. This is part one of a two-part conversation. In part one, we are going to talk about the list. We're going to talk about secondaries that you chose along the way, maybe when you mix it up, and also kind of like your command point maintenance and, and preparation as you as you go into these games. You mentioned you know, like Dante not having oil or trade. Uh, so again, just prepare everybody who may be listening, maybe tuning in to figure out how the Blood Angels did it. Yeah. So um, in terms of like CP and things like that, uh, I only you only need to start with one because you need to have one for Forlorn Fury, which is the the pregame move for the Death Company. Um, so I need to have that one, and I also need to take eight elite choices. So I need to take the Vanguard. So I'm already kind of down on CP. Uh, so having Dante as the Warlord gives me the one CP I need to start the game off to have the option to Forlorn Fury. Um, yeah. Not that I do every game, but if I'm going first, most likely I'm I'm doing it at least once. Or cool. Once. I love it how most folks say, "Oh, I can always just screen against Forlorn Fury," but we'll talk about that later in the matchups and stuff and how you actually applied that. So you did, you know, you built in a lot of Death Company into your list here, and then mm-hmm. you mentioned opens it up for 
a secondary choice. So, you know, let's actually go and talk about that since it has such a factor in list composition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I pre Nephilim, um, I was playing Hail of Doom Eldar and that was a lot of fun. Um, but the secondaries were definitely a struggle. So when Nephilim came out, I went through the book and me and some of my teammates uh, went through the book and looked at all the secondaries. And I noticed the Blood Angels one seemed really good. And I had a Blood Angel army kind of sitting in the closet waiting to be used. So I was like, oh, I don't need to buy any new models. It's really fun to play, really fast army, and their secondaries are really solid. Uh, so I take the Death Company secondary basically every game with one or two exceptions. Um, and because I have four units of Death Company between the three five mans and Lamartis, uh, it's basically an automatic 12 uh, and re- usually an easy 15 points. Um, so there's just great secondary. Um, you have to build for it, but once you do, it just... kid in the room who doesn't know how this thing works, since Paul's the Blood Angel expert on, on this show. Uh, how does the Death Company secondary even work? Uh, yeah, so it's called Fury of the Lost, and you get three points if a Death Company unit kills something, four points if a Death Company unit kills, or if any Death Company units kill two units, and then you get an extra point when a death company unit dies. So if I run a unit of hammers in, they kill something and they die, I get four points. Um, oftentimes, I'll split my attacks between two units and kill two units, get four points, and then die, and I get a fifth point for each one of my death company units, essentially. Um, and if my opponent does manage to focus fire the, the death company early, uh, Lamartis is in the list specifically because he can run around to get me those last couple points I need. Um, and it's shooting or combat, so if I like, toss a bolt pistol into like a single guy who's left over that gets me three points nice you don't really see a lot of players go for that a lot of times when you look at blood angel lists you'd kind of just see a sea of sanguinary guard gold guys red guys it just runs at you and charges you that's a differentiating factor on you yeah, um, yeah I, I, I played the um with two death company squads without the secondary for at least a month and a half before i like really thought about it and i was like wait this could actually be really good and so it took me a while to even like come to the realization that it's worth taking. And then once I did take it, I was like, oh, this isn't a near auto take if I build my list around it. That's really impressive. That's something that sets you apart from a lot of the other Blood Angel armies that I've seen as of late. That just the feature of three Death Companies units and the Martys. Yeah, I, I, I tweaked the list a bunch um, over the last couple of months to kind of get to where it is now. So it's been a lot of like trying things out and, you know, test it out. Um, lots of different kind of combos and, and different options before I kind of settled on this. I like it, especially going into what it could be a true take-all commerce type field. You know, you could be face, facing anything on the side of the table. It gives you a little bit of ownership, you know, about how your game's going to go. Yeah, and if they do screen out, if they have a bunch of just kind of chaff units, the uh, Chainsword unit is 105 points and dishes out 30 attacks in Assault Doctrine. So I can forlorn period them, kill two ch- uh, screening units, get me my five points when they die, uh, and then they don't have any more screening units for the rest of my army. So, Zach, I want to kind of unpack how you've come to this specific set of units you've taken with your blinders, because it looks like you tuned them to a really fine degree. Seven-man sanguinary guard units, one chainsword death company squad, three units, Lamartis, etc. Let's go through your HQs. Like, what? How did you pick these ones, these warlord traits, relics, those combinations? Um, yeah, so Dante, to me, is a no-brainer. Um, I think you can build a beefy, just generic uh, chapter master because you need the chapter master rerolls. Um, but it costs more points and it involves spending CP to make him good. Whereas Dante, I gain a CP and I don't need to do anything to make him good. He just comes good out of the box. Uh, he has a bunch of utilities, always minus one to hit. He fights on death for free. He doesn't hit quite as hard as I'd like to, but for 165 points, he's worth it every day of the week, I think. He- you mentioned that fight on death for free. He gets to do a heroic deed stratagem for zero. 
cost. Yeah. So that's almost always spent on the uh, only a death to Zudian. Pretty much. The only other strat I think he's even a, is he, is even an option is the uh, angel sacrifice, which is another amazing strat. But usually that's one CP and fight on death is two CP. So I'd rather get the value from the two CP from fight on death. Makes sense. Um, yeah, so Dante, fantastic unit, just all around. Um, Lamardi's, like I mentioned, uh, he's really only there for the secondary. He doesn't do much else. His buffs only work on Death Company, so when he does his prayers, he's got a special role where they only apply to Death Company. If they applied to everybody, he'd be unbelievably OP. I think a chaplain is a really important feature of a Blood Angelus for that litany of hate. Did you Were you cool with not having it on most of your army? Sanguinary Guard don't need litany of hate because if they're near Dante, they get plus one to hit, and then Dante gives them... Uh, built-in reroll ones, so they're pretty much always hitting on twos, reeling ones anyway. So they don't need the linear hate. Oh, I meant the plus two to charge. I'm sorry if I. Oh, plus two charge. Uh, yeah, so that's mechanical. Um, I generally don't need it because I have a 14 inch move with all my jump packs, and then I have a built-in plus one to charge with Blood Angels. So occasionally I will do the the extra charge range um, because there's nothing worse than failing charges. Like that's how you lose games as Blood Angels. <laughs> um, so that's uh, that's there for that. Lamartis also gives reroll charges to Death Company. So if my Death Company are kind of going for a larger charge, I can do the plus one to charge and then free reroll to to charge. Well, with the Chaplain, it. yeah, in the Blood Angel army also, it only gives you a net plus one. Exactly. You know, and not you don't get the, the stack with the other Blood Angel abilities. So you're not getting the full use of the Chaplain. So they actually don't make their way into a bunch of Blood Angel lists. But, you know, you've got a very clear strategy here. And Lamartis is, is, is a points tool uh, more than just a buffer. Yeah, and, and if he gets uh, Mantra of Strength off, he's flat damage three with eight attacks once he gets like all his buffs going. Um, so he can hit pretty hard uh, once he gets there. But two damage weapon. It's not terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's two, and then when he gets Mantra of Strength, goes to the flat damage three. So um, he can be pretty beefy. That's pretty solid. Yeah, and then I have the uh, the Sanguinary Priest, uh, which is also kind of like an auto-take in Blood Angels, uh, mostly because he picks a unit, puts in Assault Doctrine for free, and if I want to, I spend one CP to put a second unit in Assault Doctrine. So um, that's... Very, very valuable because the extra attacks, um, it's just it's unbelievable, plus the extra AP. Are your Death Company squads large enough to where you can kind of string them back a bit with the, you know, when you're planning on doing the, the Forlorn Fury charge to still tag them? Yeah, every with, single time. Um, yeah. they, get, they get the plus one to hit from the banner, rerolls to hit from Dante, and then Assault Doctrine from the Priest. And I have to make sure I'm in range for all three. So when you, <laughs> this is a bit technical, but this is a place to talk about it, you know. When the Death Company mm-hmm. use their Forlorn Fury up the table, you usually use this to go, you know, 12 inches forward, charge gung-ho into your opponent's lines. And you're saying you string your Death Company back two-inch coherency so that they're still within six inches of all your characters to get rid of all your buffs in your command phase turn one. Is that exactly. straining to you because your characters are, have to be so far forward? Uh, or is it typically not a problem because that's your, where your army goes? Um, I deploy my characters with the knowledge that if I do go first, they're going to need to be in range for the buffs. So the, the characters usually up at the front anyway. So it's you, once I started getting used to like deploying that way, it's pretty easy to pull off. But if you make a mistake with it, the death company without the buffs are not nearly as scary. So once they get all three buffs up, they kill almost anything they run into. Nice. Just wanted to talk about that little nuance there. I think. Yeah, yeah str- stringing Fate, them out is very important. Fate Weaver's dead. Fate Weaver's not, not dying to Death Company, Paul. Get out of here. <laughs> Seth, did you kill any Fate Weavers during your tournament? Uh, the Fate Weaver is the the dude on the chariot? Uh, two-headed, large Zinch demon. Oh, Kairos? Yeah, I killed him um, in Rema. Around five. Oh, the show's over, everyone. We're done. <laughs> or round, round six. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll take out a Impossible Robes. Uh, what are they called? Big Bird. 
no problem. Yeah, we'll talk Lord about the demon matchup later. Isn't yeah, <laughs> yeah, Lord's change. Um, so uh, moving through, yeah, the list, then, what else you got? Uh, also, the Sanger Priest is because he's in the box there. He gives me the six of Philippine. He's got rights of war, and I can also uh, I didn't make him the uh, chief box there, um, but if I need to, I can spend the CP res a guy, which I often will do to increase my charge range by resting him in the front of a squad. Um, which sometimes, which sometimes can catch people off guard because if they measure like, oh, if I'm you know 26 inches away, I can't be charged, but then I res a guy, and then it gets me an extra you know three inches with the two inch gradency plus the base um, can can change the math on some of those charges. Definitely, and it's very easy to just take chip shots into sanguinary guard and accidentally make them in charge range. So when you when they do that, let's say they're 26.1 inches away, and you resurrect your sanguinary guard and you move, that basically gives you plus three inches, one inch for the base, plus two inches on coherency. Does that uh, now it takes the impossible charge to a nine? I guess with plus one, it's an eight. Do you go for that all of a sudden? Usually not. I don't like to go for charges that are more than like eight inches. Like that feels risky to me. Um, but I definitely will if it's like an emergency for sure. How do you make that call as a blood angel player? Like when to go in with what units? Um, it's basically like if I fail that charge, do I lose the game? Then I don't do it. But if I can fail that charge and be like, eh, whatever, it's not a big deal, uh, then I'll get for it. Gotcha. So that's that's a good rule of thumb in general. Like it, the win now button isn't worth the lose now flip side. Yeah, it's kind of like if, if I lose that charge, does it like change the the whole board state? And sometimes yes, and sometimes no. And uh, if it'll change, if it'll swing things heavily in my opponent's favor, I I probably won't go for it then. Yeah, nice. Let's talk about the sanguinary guard here. Is that you do have some inferno pistols on there? Sanguinary mm-hmm. guard are more customizable than maybe people normally see. You've got fist swords, axes. You know. Two different types of pistols you can you can sub out for the Angelus bolt guns, and you've you've chosen to put some pistols on here. Was that a, a calculated thing where you think you need an extra oomph, or where there's just you know twenty points left over, thirty points left over? Yeah, I, I ran them without the Inferno pistols for a long time, and then uh, every once in a while you'll see transports, uh, like in the Orc matchup, I guess in Votan now, occasionally like Harlequins, and I don't have a way to deal with transports really like if i i have to charge a transport for the most part so the inferno pistols are a great way to pop a transport early and then charge whatever comes out of it um or in situations where i'm fighting things like a wound capped like a gas or something like that um being able to fairly reliably put some wounds in the shooting phase uh so that i can then finish them off in, in the combat phase um so that's why they're there primarily Okay, thank you. Let's also talk about some of the stuff that you definitely don't see in a lot of blending lists, and that's the Eliminators. Yeah, the Eliminators and the Assault Squad are both there kind of as like a utility unit. Um, neither one does damage, really, but they both either move block, they screen um, from deep strikes, uh, they either eat mortal wounds, they can go sit an objective, and if they die, I don't really care. So both those units are kind of there for the same reason, and they both have slightly different utility between like the move-shoot-move of the Eliminators or the uh, Assault Squad being able to, um, if they're near the banner, move 14 plus an advance and just kind of sit on objective. And yeah, yeah, raise banners with these units you're not really caring about. Yeah, they're basically like, everything else in my army hits really hard, and when it dies, I'm sad about it. But those two units, when they die, I'm like, okay, that's kind of what they're there for. The Assault Marines make perfect sense to me for that role. The Eliminator strike me is a bit interesting, because usually when you see that infiltrating unit, you go for incursors or infiltrators, Um was it to save five points? Was it to, or I guess 15 points, or was it to shoot characters? What's the, why eliminators, I guess? Um, partially because they're tanky in cover, and then partially because it's 75 points for an infiltrating unit. Um, people generally don't realize this, but one of the big counters to Forlorn Fury is to put an infiltrating unit in the middle of the board, and then I can't move within nine inches of them with my death company. Uh, so oftentimes my 
my incursor squad, I want to infiltrate and survive. But the eliminators, I can infiltrate them first and basically zone out their infiltrators. And then if I go second, the eliminators die and it's not a big deal. Um, so it's kind of just like a cheaper way to kind of like get in the middle of the board and kind of just take up space in the middle of the board and therefore guaranteeing me a decent forlorn fury if I go first. They do have large bases too, larger than the normal safe variants. Yeah, and, and in cover, they're like decently tanky. Um, every once in a while, they do a little bit of damage, which is great, but I generally don't rely on either of those two units to do any damage. We saw you using them to do some damage in the, uh, in the finals there. We'll talk about that for sure. That also brings us to your Whirlwind, a bit of a controversial virtual choice amongst Bloodhound players. Paul, before we ask Zach, what is your opinion on the Whirlwind? Man, I, I typically do not take it uh, because you know I feel like it's kind of sacrificing some of that forward punch. But I will say, I got to give you props. And to other generals out there, they've been running the same thing. In today's Flammer world, I don't think I'd leave home without it. Yeah, um, people are giving me all this credit for teching it in for the Flamers, but really I teched it in for the close combat matchups. Because it not only turns off Overwatch, but it also makes something fight last. And I think that um, in a lot of cases, I feel good into Blood Angels versus shooting matchups. And I felt like it, it's a much more difficult matchup, Blood Angels versus another really heavy close combat unit. So I took it for that, but knowing it would also be useful against Flamers. But I was kind of designed. It's it's nice because it, it works in either either style matchup. Um, I can either do it as fight last or ignore Overwatch. And depending on who you're facing, either one could be good. I was one of those people who kind of talked trash about the Whirlwind for a long time. And uh, the eight games I played in Kansas were the first eight games I played with the Whirlwind. I literally added it. I painted it on like the Wednesday before the event. Hey, nice. It worked out. Yeah, it definitely worked and, out. And other, like, just in general, like the Blood Angels have a hard time getting access to Fights Last. Like most Marine chapters mm-hmm. do. You know, a fi- finding a Fights Last piece that synergizes very well with the rest of the army. And a Whirlwind is something that, has been available, you know, since the dawn of time, essentially. And the other Blood Angel players out there have been running them. Yeah, I ran the Judiciar with the uh, um, Blakeguard vet in a um, Impulsor for a little bit, just to try it out, and it, it kind of worked, but it wasn't amazing. So what's the verdict on the Royal one? You said this is your first eight games with it. Is this something- Oh, yeah, it's, it's staying in the list for it's sure, staying. 100%. It, yeah. Is, it's, you said a lot of things in this past minute that really blew my mind. You said you had a like a good matchup into shooting armies and the combat ones is where you took the whirlwind. I get where fights last is awesome against a combat army and how that helps tech into it. I'm still stuck on how shooting matches are good for you. And then specifically why combat matchups are bad for you. Um, just in the past in my playing against shooting matchups, uh, I had the shooting shooting armies basically have one turn to shoot off the board. So I, you know, turn one, I run up, try to hide as much as possible um, either get in cover or get on the line of sight, and then turn two, they're going to be charged unless they can just fully clear me out of the middle of the board. Um, and so I played Tau, I played a bunch of knights who have a bunch of shooting and have been able to accomplish my goals fairly easily just by running everything, you know, foot on the gas, just go. And it wasn't too big of an issue. And it was when I ran into, uh, you know, Nids with a lot of close combat or other kind of similar matchups. It gets really interesting in terms of like who I can charge and win because interrupts can really mess up my entire plan. And so being able to charge multiple close combat units and not have to worry about an interrupt makes that matchup feel a lot better to me. So part of the theory behind why the fight lasts from the whirlwind is an unnecessary tool is because you can oftentimes play around interrupts with your other strat, uh, Angel Sacrifice, and just through clever positioning through combat if you're adept at those skills. And I'm sure you are since you just brought down this giant tournament. Congratulations, man. 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so I use angel sacrifice a lot um, in in those combat matchups for a long time. And what I found is when you're fighting against really big things like a Mortarian or a Greater Demon or a Big Knight, perfect, because uh, all the attacks have to go into the character. But if you're playing against like a Brick of Possessed or a Brick of Terminators, um, it's only engagement range has to attack the character. So they could be really clever with their pylons and their movement and make it so that maybe two or three Possessed have to fight the character, but then the rest of the squad attacks whatever it wants. Um, so I was worried about, or like big Tyranid Warrior Bricks can be really tricky to deal with that way. So Angel Sacrifice is great, but there are definitely ways to play around it, I feel like. Or there are units to play around it. Counterattack for the counterattack in a way. Or ones like yep. the Equalizer. Cool. Cool, I like that answer a lot. So finishing out your list, you have the requisite Here's My Jump Army. You have three squads of Death Company, three squads of Sanguine Guard, and one Assault Marine unit. Did you ever want different ratios? Were you happy with this loadout? How tested is this? Uh, I mean, I did a lot of testing. I, I like jump packs. I like things that can just move fast and hit really hard. So um, I kind of, you know, I like that floor is lava approach to building a list where everything has fly. You can just run all over the board and just really put on pressure. Um, I think games, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard you say this uh, as well, Nick, but games are won and lost in the movement phase. And so being able to have Lots and lots of movement makes me feel like I can just win games based off of that. Yeah, we yeah, actually clever pylons and even just movements. Yeah, charge moves, pylons, consolidates, and you obviously use all of those to full effect. I'm sure. Yeah, 14 inch move uh, is great. You don't need advance and charge when you can just move that far. So let's talk about that strategically. You know, it's it's you're playing a, a super strong hammer of an army. You just charge them, you win games. It literally is that simple. And if you want to simplify it down, but there's obviously so much more to it. You've been able to produce results that most people can't even fathom. So how, what separates you from like your normal approach to blood angels? Like how do you actually play this army on the table? Um, well, I think that they like at first glance, blood angels are this very much kind of like just run at them, see what happens kind of army. But I think uh, when you end up playing really good players and in really tough matchups, it's about when you put the foot on the gas and what you can get away with and how that can be countered. Um, it becomes a lot more cerebral and a lot more interesting than just, than just kind of like run at them. And I think uh, the way I've built the list right now, I don't care if I go first or second. If I go first, I get a forlorn fury off and I get to kill something, which is great, get some points. Um, but if I go second, uh, that usually means I can score more primaries and I can, um, like, the opponent has to come out a little bit. And when they do, I have the movement to kind of get them anywhere on the board almost. Uh, so knowing when to put the foot on the gas and when not to, I think is by far the hardest part about playing Blood Angels and something that I've had to like experiment with and sometimes make mistakes and then learn from those and then try to figure out like, okay, next time I maybe don't go as quite as hard as early, wait a little bit and then go. Cause really the whole army turns on turn three once everybody gets an assault doctrine and then you can, you know, do a lot more damage that way. But the tension was real in that, that finals game, you know, where you, you did kind of, you know, we're having that, you could tell a very kind of internal debate about when to move out and when to not, and, you know, end up costing you some points, but thankfully not the game. We'll, we'll get, we'll get there and, and talk about that soon. But if, if people, you're going to want to hear that thought process and that story. Uh, yeah, that was a wild game. There. <laughs> so Zach, it sounds like tem- timing and tempo were your biggest advantages instead of just trying to go in all at once as quickly as possible. Maybe some games like tower that straightforward, but most of the time it was, it was about when you struck. How do you identify and, when to strike? Is it just waited out till turn three and then everybody's in? Or is there like your it, opponent leaves isolated units? What are you looking for? Um, it's very like matchup dependent. It depends what army they're playing. It depends what the terrain is like. 
And I think uh, the two things I look out for are if I commit, how hard will I be punished? Um, because that that's one of the things like you can go in and hit really hard, but then the rest of your army just gets wiped out. Um, and if you are going to get punished that hard, can you still just stay ahead on primaries and secondaries? Because I've had games where I have, I'm either tabled or have one or two models left on the board's end, but I still have like 90 points and I still win the game. Um, so sometimes you can like overcommit that way and get punished, but not hard enough to lose a game. Uh, the other thing I look for a lot is uh, positioning mistakes my opponent makes. If they move something slightly out of position so I can delete it without getting deleted in return, um, and then I just try to punish those mistakes a lot. So it's it's very dependent on what's happening on the board state at the time. One of the advantages to playing a super fast army is you get to be reactive. You don't have to walk in with a five-turn game plan because you move six inches a turn. You can turn one, be left, turn two, be on the other side of the board. So mm-hmm. how much of your game plan is set in stone like that, or is it completely malleable? It's pretty malleable, um, and I think part of what makes that happen is because the secondaries are really strong for Blade Angels. Like we talked about the Death Company one, but there's also... Uh, Relentless Assault, which is like an automatic 12 for having more of my units in their deployment zone than they have units in my deployment zone. And I'm usually in their deployment zone anyway. One is typically enough. You know, like you you, you get that done, scored with one unit. Yeah, and it combos really well with uh, the the Death Company one as well as uh, Forlorn Fury. So like I can have a unit in their deployment zone basically guaranteed. So because the secondaries are really strong um, and... If somebody wants to fight in the middle for primaries, I, I will generally win a middle a fight in the middle for primaries. Um, and I'll sometimes let people take the middle and just to so they can get some primary points, and then I can just clear off anything that's in the middle. So that's another interesting point you make. In a five-objective mission where you know a lot of the missions are like that, you got a central one and the one in the center of each quarter. Typically, armies can approach this one of two ways. You can just go bowling ball the center, put 2,000 points of blood angels in the middle of the board, and say, I'm going to charge the entire table next turn. What are you going to do about it? Or you mm-hmm. can go left and go right at the same time and kind of play for that L shape around the objectives. What? Yeah, I can play really cagey or I can go all in, and the army does both really well. How do you identify when to do either? Um, I think it's just a lot of practice, a lot of experience, just feeling like, um, do they have the tools that can kill lots of Marines really fast? And if Because like, things like Sanguine Guard are pretty tanky, especially in cover, but they will, they'll die. And once they start to die, it definitely does hurt. Um, so I'm mostly trying to reduce my own losses uh, while also killing as much as possible. At what point are you willing to let your sanguinary guard in favor for positioning, or rather be would you rather be out of line of sight pretty much always for um I try to be out of sight line of sight as much as possible. The GW terrain at the Kansas City Open, um, a lot of times there's kind of like those two diagonal rectangles in the middle. So I would often try to hide behind those, but there's often not not a way to be one hundred percent safe. I, I feel like with player place terrain. I often get better positioning because I can kind of put terrain where I want to stage for turn two or three. So the the pre-placed terrain versus play-placed terrain also affects a little bit in terms of where I position and how I position. It's interesting you say that. So when you're playing player-placed terrain, I assume you're more familiar with that format? Yeah, I have a lot more practice with that. Um, and I know people say the GW terrain favors combat armies like Blood Angels, but a, a lot of those buildings are basically magic boxes that I can't charge somebody inside. And as you saw in like my game versus Manny, if he's you know just over one inch from the wall, I literally cannot charge him in that box unless I charge up onto the roof, uh, which is kind of sketchy. Or all the way around, yeah. Yeah, or all the way around, which sometimes I can do, but I def- I feel more comfortable with player place terrain, and I often feel like I uh, my life is easier in player place terrain in general. With some exceptions versus uh, GW train. What is a 
obviously you're looking for a line of sight blocking, but when you're placing the terrain yourself, where do you place it? Just terrain on objectives or is there more to it? Yeah. I mean, I'll try to prioritize objectives. So I have a safe place to hide and just hold objectives and not get shot. Um, and then I'm also looking for, like I said, like a staging area. Um, so I can just hide a big chunk of my army in one place, kind of central to the board where I can threaten two or three objectives with charges the next turn. Yeah, that's pretty good. And I know we talked a little bit about your command points and and that kind of stuff. We'll get we'll get there too. Let's talk about those secondaries. We've what we've weaved that into the conversation. And you know, you've got a couple of go-tos, but yet in the finals, you didn't take that death company secondary. So how how do you kind of decide uh, how to approach the game and you know what your overall outcome is going to be from the from the very beginning? Yeah, I mean, I think players in general should be uh, switching up their secondaries depending on the matchups and. The matchup with Manny was interesting because he had so many psychers and so many wounds, and I knew it was going to be a really cagey game. Um, so I, that was the only game out of the eight that I didn't take the Death Company secondary. It's also, I think, the only game I took banners as well. Usually, I, I prioritize Relentless Assault, Fear of the Lost. Those are almost auto-takes with a couple of exceptions. And then uh, I'll either try to get either an Assassinate or Bring It Down if, if those are decent options. If those aren't, I will take Blade of Sanguinius, which is uh, another Blood Angel secondary where you get five points for killing. You pick a character after deployment and pregame moves, so you know who's going first. Uh, you pick it, one of their characters and pick one of my characters. Five points for killing them, another five points for killing them in combat, and another five points if I kill them with the character that I select. And they also lose a command point if I do all three of them. Um, so I took that once or twice when there like weren't any other good secondaries because I can usually pick their weakest character and then just run them down for ten points uh, with like some death company. And if and if that's not good, then I'll take either banners or rod or R and D. Um, those are kind of like my main go tos for secondaries. How do you determine though that if like what's the the I guess path of progression to get to there that they're not good? Um, it's basically like you know um, bring it down and assassinate are based off of their list, and it's like do they have enough characters to make assassinate worth it, or do they have enough vehicles slash monsters to make bring it down worth it? And if those aren't worth it, then I consider either Blade Sanguinius or one of the action ones, uh, depending on, you know, other objectives in my deployment zone. I might take banners. Um, if is there's easy to kill characters, I'll take Blade. Um, or is there a character that they're going to want to run at me? But I'll, I might take Blade as well. Um, so it really kind of depends on like what I'm seeing across the table and what I'm seeing like in terms of the mission itself. Does the quality of those characters? On the in your opponent's army uh, lead into the decision tree, you know, the blade versus assassination or what have you, or do you just feel confident enough that if uh, in in the stats of your army to where the stats of those other characters doesn't really matter? Yeah, my army is really good at hunting down characters, uh, just because I have all the movement and I'm going to be running at them anyway. Uh, so if there are enough characters for assassinate, I'll I'll take that, and I generally prioritize blade if there's easy to kill ones, um, if there's like an ethereal on the table or an Inquisitor or something like that, um, just because it's I can don't have to put a lot of effort into killing them. I just need to get next to them and then kill them. Uh, I have taken it against Bellacor one time, not during the tournament, but uh, they hit Bellacor in the back, and I was like, okay, I get zero on that secondary, but Bellacor does, has zero impact on that game, and I'll, I'll take that trade for you know almost a quarter of your army for 15 secondaries. That's really interesting. So a lot of times with secondaries, we talk about tempo in terms of the onus of aggression is on one player versus the other. If both players just sit on their side of the board and run their own business, out of line of sight, trading whatever pot shots they can take, they'll both tie it out on primary with the advantage going to the person who's gone second. And then we try to look at secondaries to determine who has to go do something. With Blood Angels, you pretty much always have the onus on you to go do something if you take aggressive secondaries like Assassinate or Blade or something like that. 
is that in your game plan always to just eventually you'll have to go kill him? Or is that something that you try not to have to do? Um, I don't think there's any real way around that for the most part. Uh, with Blood Angels, the army hits like an absolute truck. It just does so much damage. Um, and so I'm usually trying to hit them very hard by turn three. But like you saw in the game with Manny, I, I was able to to wait until turn five to do that, uh, which was kind of a weird situation. But yeah, I'm usually trying to kill things because my army is really good at it. And if my opponent is hiding the entire game, um, that means they're not getting primary points. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like I'll, I'll take, you know, I could be down a little bit in terms of secondaries for turn one and two, but turn three and four or five, uh, I generally will have the movement to get wherever I want and then be able to start killing the things I want to kill. Yeah, nice. Let's take a short break. Uh, then we'll come back, talk about command points and our brutal becoming segment. Like what you're listening to? Be sure to check out the second part of this episode, where we break down specifically how our guest plays against all the top armies in the game. Want even more awesome Warhammer content? Check out the War Room. The War Room. You'll gain access to the minds of the best Warhammer players in the world with brand new content every single week. Join our amazing community, elevate your game, and enjoy your hobby more. Hey, everybody, we are back. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and all that stuff. Uh, Zach, you know, we we planned out, or you planned out, that you are starting the game with one command point. That's very much by design. Uh, you've got the extra detachments. You've got some uh, relics and what have you. So, you know, one's not a lot. I, I would love to have more than one, but one is really all Blood Angels need, I feel like. Um, Blood Angels don't have a lot of... Gr- they have... A handful of amazing secondaries that are generally all one CP, um, but there's a lot of um, not secondaries. Uh, uh, they have a, a bunch of amazing command points, but they're mostly one CP. And uh, I, I usually find I have plenty during a game, starting with one. You know, and with Nephilim, you do get you know, you know they they start to accumulate for you. And if you're not in a position uh, to need them after the game starts, you're kind of just maybe wanting a reroll or something. Or you know, we talked about how Dante has that kind of built in free stratagem if you're if you need that but you know angel sacrifice is a very powerful stratagem you know like do you uh, like at, at what point do you feel a little bit comfortable starting to use your one or two slash command points um like i said most of the good ones are only one cp so i generally don't have an issue spending them the ones that i look at are uh forlorn fury if i'm going first um you can only use it once anyway uh and then the five up feel no pain on death company is also pretty solid especially if my opponent under commits to Camilla death company in his deployment zone and they kind of underestimate how much damage they're going to need giving them the five up as opposed to the six up is really valuable the six inch rook intervention on sanguinary guard is awesome uh just to like threaten objectives if i can put like one or two dudes on the corner objective and they put somebody on the objective they just go all the way across the objective to you know take it back um and then there's like a couple others that i'll use fairly situationally but a lot of times i'm saving two cp for an interrupt in, uh, in case somebody charges me occasionally hammer of wrath so when i charge with a jump back unit to do some mortal wounds um i don't get to use that a whole lot but that's really fun and then the whirlwind strat for the ignores overwatch and fights last those are kind of the ones i, I save for uh as well as save a cp for rerolling a charge in case you fail a charge because like i said if sometimes failing charges will just lose you a game so i like to have one for that yeah that makes sense to me if you could do it all again would you swap anything out from your blood angel army or are you really happy with the units you brought? Or, or, or try to get it down to a single detachment to where you're not having to sacrifice any of those cps I would rather have the extra elite choices than the CP, I think, any day of the week. 
But in terms of the list, I'm feeling really good about it. Uh, I've got an, another event coming up, and I didn't really change my list at all. Uh, I've I've played around with the idea of either running two assault squads and no eliminators, or two eliminators and no assault squads. I've tried both, and really I've found that having one eliminator and one assault squad is kind of I get kind of the best of both worlds. So there's like a little like a few minor tweaks here and there uh, that I'll, I will continue to play around with and tweak. Um, but the list feels like everything in the list has a purpose. It, like everything kind of like synergizes and functions really well together. The characters all do things. All the relics and world of traits are there for a reason. Um, I would love an extra CP to get like a Teeth of Terra on my uh, Sanguinary Priest, but um, not. I don't think it's worth dropping any of the, any of the like world of traits I have or relics that I already have. So I'm feeling pretty good about that list right now. And the armor of Indominus. Yeah, I I oftentimes don't think armor Indominus is worth it because when I'm angel sacrificing, I'm prepared for that character just to die. So I'm like, that's eh, fine. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, when you when you want to use it, he's going to quickly become paste uh, no matter what. But, uh, yeah, I, and I think a lot of the buffs for uh, both the uh, the Sanguinary Ancient as well as the Sanguinary Priest um, are primarily most important in turns one, two, and maybe three a little bit. So turns three, four, five, uh, I'm fine sacrificing them. They don't they don't have quite as much value as they do uh, earlier in the game. So I'm totally fine if the banner guy just dies to Mortarian and then Mortarian just dies to Thunderhammers after that. Um, so I'm not so, as big into the armor and dominus. Since we jump back to the list for a second, you know, we the Incursor Squad, you know, there's another unit in that same slot for comparable points, the infiltrators. Mm-hmm. You know, what specifically are you looking to get out of these incursors? I, I did toy around with swapping that out, um, basically dropping the Assault Squad for another squad of Eliminators that gets me 15 points, and then running the Infiltrators. Um, to me, the Infiltrators are most useful in the Demons matchup, but I felt really strong into the Demons matchup already. I, I've had a bunch of reps against Demons, against some really good Demon players too. And I've got a Fate Weaver, apparently. Yeah, I, I've, I feel pretty decent um, into that. <laughs> um, so I, I felt like having the infiltrators to deny the six inch coming in from deep check is really nice, but I honestly felt fine into demons anyway. So I'll, I'll definitely test out the infiltrators and see how they feel. I wish they were a few points cheaper though. 120 feels like a lot for them. Well, with the assault squad too, you, you know, we're you know, kind of jumping around is that the, the data slate from a couple slates ago really helped them out. You got a lot of utility in that unit. Yeah. I get a bunch of free war gear. They still don't really do any damage, but uh, it's free. So every once in a while they'll do some chip damage on something. You know, melted guns could go a long way, as you as you know, but with the Inferno pistols. Let him like his list. <laughs> <laughs> the the other thing about kind of the infiltrators is that like okay, so I'm they're denying a charge from like blood letters and things like that coming out of deep strike. But if somebody wants to charge my assault marines with blood letters, go for it. I, don't, I again, that's it's a sacrificial unit. It's there to be charged by by things like blood letters and just die. No, like like the- it seems like a lot of your units are way more in the toolboxy category. It's all about when and how to use them in specific situations rather than necessarily what they're equipped with going into it. If that yeah, crack the code. Absolutely crack the code on, on this. Yeah, love it. Uh, it's it's going to make for a really interesting part two of this discussion. That's for subscribers where we're going to go and break down all of the matchups. Yeah, so everybody hold tight. Uh, we, this is like just Nick just said. This is part one of a two-part conversation. We're going to pause here for just a second. If you've made it this far, thank you very much for doing so. Uh, if you are stopping here, uh, please consider subscribing. And let's don't forget to leave some comments down below. That's uh, one way that people, you know, you can interact with the show. Let other people find the show. Tells all the algorithms that people should come and listen to the show. People do not want to miss this amazing Space Marine Blood Angel 
conversation and to hear more about Zach's. I mean, again, you did not have an easy road. You have absolutely put on a clinic about how to use an assault army in today's world. And it's fun to watch. It's going to even more fun to talk about. Hang tight. We'll see you on just a minute. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. <laughs>